Good evening, folks. This is your host, Terry Farley in Dallas, Texas. Now calling to each one of you from the eye of the storm. The eye is at the very center of a hurricane. Regardless of how powerful the hurricane, the eye at the center is calm. God's word leads us to the eye, for the Lord encourages each of us to be still and know that he is God. Psalm 46, verses 10 and 11. Psalm 46, verses 10 and 11. Thank you each and every one very much for joining me this evening. I really appreciate it. Welcome to all, once again, especially our new listeners, uh, greetings from the eye of the storm. Tonight we continue our heading for Calm Harbor, our port of call, centered at the very eye of the storm. This evening we welcome the return to our study in Proverbs, picking up with chapter 19. For as the psalmist declared, the entrance of thy words give light. It gives understanding unto the simple. Psalm 119, verse 130. All who would like, (laughs) excuse me, are now welcomed and encouraged to open their Bibles to the book of Proverbs, beginning in chapter 19. And uh, let's, let's ask God to bless the reading and study of his word this evening. Lord, thank you for the privilege and the honor of opening your word, which you have divinely provided for our comfort and strength. We pray your wisdom to enlighten us as we continue to delve into thy holy writ, that we may grow thereby in you. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Those desiring, please join us in opening God's word to Proverbs chapter 19 as we begin with verses 1 through 4. Better is the poor that walks in his integrity than he that is perverse in his lips and is a fool. Also, that the soul without be without knowledge, it is not good. And he that hasteth with his feet sinneth. The foolishness of man perverts his way, and his heart frets against the Lord. Wealth makes many friends, but the poor is separated from his neighbor. Verse 1 clarifies that a poor man who walks in his integrity is superior to the man that is perverse in his lips and is a fool. The perverseness evidently reveals the foolishness of this person. A definition of perverse can be showing a deliberate and obstinate desire to behave in a way that is unreasonable or unacceptable, often in spite of the consequences. Verse 2 is an addendum, noting that also it is not good for one to be without knowledge, nor to be hasty with one's feet, causing sin. Interestingly, man perverts his way when submitting to foolishness in verse 3, causing constant visible worry against God. Verse 4 confirms that wealth makes many friends, while the poor is separated from his neighbor. Proverbs 19, verses 5 through 8, A false witness shall not be unpunished, and he that speaks lies shall not escape. Many will entreat the favor of the prince, and every man is a friend to him that gives gifts. And the brethren of the poor do hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He pursues them with words, yet they are wanting to him. 
He that gets wisdom loves his own soul. He that keeps understanding shall find good. Those who bear false witness and speak lies are warned in verse 5 that they shall not escape, nor shall they go unpunished. Amazingly, a popular song when I was a youth back in the 1950s was entitled and declared, It's a Sin to Tell a Lie. The object of that ditty to convince folks to admit to loving someone no matter who that person was. The depths of true love were never plumbed, nor God's place in love and his love for the world. So great that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, that whoever believes in Jesus will not perish, but gain eternal life. Verse 6 obviates the blessing bestowed upon princes, ergo many thus seeking his favor, emphasizing every man, note, every man is a friend to him who gives gifts. Verse 7 is an expounding on the reverse of this reality. All the brothers of the poor do hate him, emphasizing how much more do his friends go far from him. Perhaps this is why he is called poor. Returning to the perspective of wisdom, verse 8 underscores that he that gets wisdom loves his own soul, declaring that he that keeps understanding shall find good. Verses 9 through 12. A false witness shall not be unpunished, and he that speaks lies shall perish. The light is not seemly for a fool, much less for a servant, to have rule over princes. The discretion of a man defers his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. The king's wrath is as the roaring of a lion, but his favor is as dew upon the grass. Expanding on the theme first noted in verse 5, Verse 9 then once again identifies the false witness, assuring that he shall be punished, uncovering the end of those who lie as perishing. Lie, and you will perish. Verse 10 observes that delight is not seemly for a fool, presumably, first of all, because the fool has nothing truly to delight in. This wisdom closes uh, recognizing that even more so, the imbalance of a servant having rule over princes. Within the community of Christendom, verse 11 shows the way through the, the, this insanity the world is falling prey to. Discretion defers anger, and passing over a transgression brings glory. 1 Peter 4.8 instructs, And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Divine right as a reality stems uh, from passage such as uh, passages such as verse 12, which boldly proclaims a king's wrath is as the roaring of a lion, but his favor is as dew upon the grass. Daniel testifies to King Nebuchadnezzar, chapter 2, verse 21 of, of Daniel, revealing the divine God-given power of kings. And he, God, changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He reveals the deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. Moving forward, verses 13 through 16. A foolish son is the calamity of his father and the contentions of a wife are a continual dropping. 
House and riches are the inheritance of fathers, and a prudent wife is from the Lord. Slothfulness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle soul shall suffer hunger. He that keeps the commandment keeps his own soul, but he that despises his ways shall die. An old song encourages, teach your children well. Certainly, a foolish son is not taught well. And the contentions of a wife, painful as they may be, have a source which must be plumbed. Why is the son foolish? Why the wife contentious? Verse 13 provokes a need for answers, beginning with the fear of God being absent from the, from the family. To be wise is to allow the fear of God to draw you to him as he intends by displaying his power, not to aggrandize himself, but to reveal who he is, who you are, and that he is God. Verse 14 explains that house and riches are the inheritance of fathers, reminding some to be thankful for what they have received, while others can be comforted, remembering that he, God, defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. Deuteronomy 10.18, certainly those so divinely blessed have much to be thankful for. Verse 15 with the warning against slothfulness, which only engenders deep sleep and leads the idle soul to suffer hunger, provides its own wake-up call. Verses 16 through 19. He that keeps the commandment keeps his own soul, but he that despises his ways shall die. He that has pity upon the poor lends unto the Lord, and that which he has given will he pay him again. Chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. A man of great wrath shall suffer punishment, for if thou deliver him, yet thou must do it again. Verse 16 plainly states, keeping the commandment keeps your very own soul, and all who despise the keeping of their ways shall die. Sounds pretty plain to me, no confusion here. Those who give to the poor, verse 17 reveals, lend their gifts to God, and God will return all that we give. This is his word, and he is faithful. Discipline is missing in modern culture. Strangely, folks ask why. Verse 18 reveals the importance of family life. The father is instructed to chasten or discipline his son while there is hope, and not to let his crying cause you to spare the discipline. That's where the old adage, spare the rod, spoil the child, comes from. Today, across America, violence and destruction reign free, with any arrested being immediately freed without bail. And then folks have the temerity to ask, why? Another clear case of absurdity being practical, being practiced, I'm sorry. Verse 19, this warning is clear. A man with a great temper shall bring punishment upon himself, for if you deliver him, you're just going to have to do it again. Amazingly, in retrospect, that is where American society is today. So many that do not believe the Bible is the word of God are nonetheless practicing exactly what it warns against. Time for a duh moment, huh? You know, instead of an amen. Verses 20 through 23, hear counsel and receive instruction 
that you may be wise in your latter end. <clears throat> Excuse me. There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. The desire of a man is his kindness, and a poor man is better than a liar. The fear of the Lord tends to life, and he that has it shall be abide satisfied. He shall not be visited with evil. Verse 20 supports the entirety of this study of Proverbs, as it does all forms of scholastic endeavor, as well as the vast array of subjects of learning available throughout life, both formal and informal. The wisdom of both seeking counsel and heeding the teachings that emanate from sage advice always result in growing in wisdom itself, preparing one for one's latter years. The key phrase in verse 21 is many devices in a man's heart, the sum of which is given by the response, nevertheless the counsel of the Lord shall stand. This wisdom reminds us of Proverbs 3.5's opening, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to thine own understanding. In searching out the depths of meaning for the term devices, my Google report listed a long naming of various electronic devices available, servers, laptops, desktops, smartphones, tablets, intelligent devices, network switches, routers, just for openers. Digging deeper, I plumbed the Greek meaning for the word devices used specifically in this proverb and discovered Strong's Concordance translation from the Greek reveals devices thus rendered, refer to the abilities God gives one to hold themselves before others, that is, to excel, to be better. Our gifts from God are to enable us to rise to the ambassadorship Paul confers on all believers, which God bestows upon each believer for those to which the individual is assigned for witnessing. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us we pray you in Christ's stead be ye reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians 5.20 Verse 22 of Proverbs exposes a man's kindness as his innermost wants and desires. This expose is under, undergirded with the wisdom that a poor man is better than a liar, indicating a poor man sincerely, uh, uh, sincerely kind is to be preferred over a rich man feigning kindness. Many folks chafe at the idea of fearing God. Verse 23 reveals the fear of the Lord tends to life itself. Those who gain this wisdom abide satisfied. Note, no lack here of satisfaction. Plus, those who fear the Lord shall not even be visited with evil. <clears throat> Verses 24 through 27. A slothful man hides his hand in his bosom and will not so much as bring it to his mouth again. Smite a scorner and the simple will beware and reprove one that has understanding and he will understand knowledge. He that wastes his father and chases away his mother is a son that causes shame and brings reproach. Cease my son to hear the instruction that causes to err from the words of knowledge. Verse 24 condemns the lazy, those who intentionally avoid work, so much so that he won't even feed himself. Verse 25 is as timely as the word of God gets, punishing the wrongdoer 
alerts those paying attention to be wary of the same. Additionally, correcting the wise who do have understanding, and in the vernacular of today, he gets it. Anyone blessed to have an earthly father needs to cultivate that relationship, not abuse or waste it, as described in verse 26, nor to chase away their mother and dishonor her, elsewise only bringing reproach on themselves. Don't listen to bad advice, young man, verse 27 advises, advice that leads to error and away from the words of knowledge. Our final two verses of chapter 19, verses 28 and 29, an ungodly witness scorns judgment, and the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. Judgments are prepared for scorners and stripes for the backs of fools. The ungodly scorn judgment, the mouth of the wicked gobbles us up up sin like ice cream, but judgment is prepared for scorners and stripes for the backs of fools. Next week, we embark on Proverbs chapter 20. And now this week's Padashah. And it's tonight's Padashah is He Hiai Sara, Life of Sarah, Genesis 23.1 through 25.18. This week's Padashah combines three passages whose intertwining describes the Christian journey from the temporal to the eternal in three stages. Opening in the Tanakh in Genesis 23.1, the announcement is made of the death of Abraham's wife, Sarah, at the age of 127 years. She died at Kirjath Arba in the land of Canaan. Abraham finds a burial place for her at the end of the field of Ephron, the Hittite, in the cave of Machpelah. Hebrew scholars of today point out that the sages of the ages have held that this cave was also the burial site of Adam and Eve. This is a traditional view that has continued down to the present. The caution that comes with accepting tradition, according to Jesus in Mark 7.13, is that scholars and also the elders of Judaism have continued down through time to make the word of God of none effect through tradition, which they have handed down. Views like this can do harm, not only to accuracy in teaching, but also to blunting prophetical intent. Today's collections of passages are a good example. After chronicling the life and death of Sarah, this evening's Padashah turns to the Haftorah in 1 Kings chapter 1, verses through verse 31. Along in the years, King David is confronted by Bathsheba's urging to ensure Solomon succeeds to the throne. Thus, the reader is plunged from death and burial back into life and struggle. Torah cycles can vary in their preparation, as do tonight's passages. In this particular cycle, the Brit Hadashach focuses on 1 Corinthians 15, 50-57, which reveals the mystery of the blessed hope, also described by present-day believers as the rapture. That was unrevealed in the Tanakh, as was Jesus of Nazareth, the Hamashiach. In the revelation of this heretofore unknown promise, the Apostle Paul begins by explaining that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. So, flesh and blood, dead or alive, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And further corruption, which is what humans are made of, cannot inherit incorruption. As Paul points out later, this mortal flesh must put on immortal flesh. 
Paul then continues to elucidate on the matter by telling a mystery, which is a teaching that was hidden, but Paul is now going to make plain, beginning in verse 50. And that mystery is that we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Firstly, not all of us, Paul is addressing all who believe in Jesus and are therefore members of the bride of Messiah, of which are going to die. Secondly, the heralding of this divine action will be made by the shofar, and as Paul clarifies, we shall all be changed. Thirdly, this miraculous transformation that all believers dead and alive are going to experience is going to take place in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. This time span is within 11 one-hundredths of a second, and inside this microcosmic moment, all believers dead and alive will be raised incorruptible. And Paul emphasizes we shall be changed, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Paul further clarifies, quoting Isaiah 25.8 and Hosea 13.14, uh, So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? He then explains the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Preachers and teachers have used this passage to comfort grieving believers by suggesting this proves special provision by God for all believers meeting death. Yet, the context of these verses show Paul is clearly making a specific reference to the rapture itself. Thus, the reader progresses from life ending through life succeeding to life transforming from mortal to immortal. Paul acknowledges his thanks to God, <clears throat> who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He then closes this thrilling revelation with instruction on carrying forward from this breathtaking prophecy. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Kiai Sada. Shabbat Shalom. What a wonderful message. Death, life, and eternal life. That's what God is offering through his word. And at the end of the book of Revelation, you can check it out yourself in uh, chapter 22. Jesus mentions the rapture three times by saying simply, Behold, I am coming quickly. Again, he says, Behold, I am coming quickly. Again, he says, Behold, at the last thing that he actually says in the Bible, are you ready? Behold, I am coming quickly. And so we understand the rapture has been discussed in the Old Testament and been revealed in hidden terms. To the New Testament, where it is openly revolved and, and, and uh, revealed and, and preached and taught uh, extensively, that this is a true teaching. And in the times that we live, in the tumultuous times that we live, when terrible things are beginning to happen as prophesied by the Bible, we begin to understand 
God's word is true. We do not need to be afraid. We do not need to be troubled. He says, comfort one another with these words. We can strengthen one another with these words in this teaching. All of these things must come to pass. Every time I read a headline that's terrible, I say to myself, because of the scriptures that have taught me, fulfillment of prophecy, fulfillment of prophecy, fulfillment of prophecy. And we quickly covered life itself, death, living in life and the challenges, and then the release, the deliverance from this present evil age. And you can check that in Galatians chapter 1, verse 4. Delivering Jesus, delivering us from this present evil age before the tribulation starts. It is true that multitudes are going to become Christians. They're going to become believers in the tribulation. That's true. So there is hope in that regard. And there's hope for Israel, as Israel can discover as they study these things. Because a lot of them are going to be here because they don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. Although there is a tremendous turning to Jesus, the Hamashiach, across the earth, and we're grateful for that. But there are going to be many that do not, and it is the time of the seven years in which God is going to deal with Israel specifically. And he is going to come back at the very worst time, at the end of the tribulation, when it looks like there is no more hope for Israel in Revelation chapter 19, and he's going to save Israel. He's going to deliver them. He's going to destroy all their enemies because their enemies by that time are going to be breaking into breaking into Jerusalem. That's how close to destruction it, they're going to come. But Jesus is going to appear as east is from the west, lightning going from east to the west, as he describes in Matthew 24. And he's going to save them. And he's going to save them completely. And it's going to be beautiful and marvelous. And his bride, we Christians who believe in Jesus and will be raptured before the tribulation begins, we shall be riding on white horses at his side, witnessing this entire uh, incredible scene. It's going to be marvelous. And there's much more in there, by the way. For those who do not believe in Jesus, what do you have to look forward to? It's called the great white throne judgment. And it's not a judgment to see if you're guilty. It's a judgment to decide what punishment you're going to receive. Some shall receive few stripes. Some shall receive many. This is a quick overview <laughs> of the end times for you. Uh, death, life, and hope in eternal, eternal life with Jesus in heaven. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. Uh, God bless you, uh, and I say to you all, Maranatha, and again I say, Maranatha, Jesus come. And that's the wrap for this evening, folks. May we all join together in prayer that each of us has a good night. And the Lord willing, until we meet next time, or until Jesus shouts and we meet in the air, or at supper, Here's bidding you all, each and every one, the very best Jesus has to offer you. From the eye of the storm, this is your host, Terry Farley, bidding you a good evening.